Hey all, thank you for tuning into Women Birders Happy Hour. My name is Hannah. I'm a birder, a woman, and someone that enjoys a good drink after a long day of birding. Women have been integral to birding since it started, but we haven't always been recognized for the contributions and impact we have. Men have dominated the guiding scene, festival circuit, leadership positions, and publications. And according to a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service 2011 report, in the U.S., there were over 47 million birders. The majority of these birders are college-educated, they are white, they are women, and mostly are over the age of 55. And if you put all these factors together, we create the typical birder, a white, college-educated woman over the age of 55. And that's a demographic that I often see out birding, but I don't as frequently see as a speaker, a guide, or a sole publisher. Additionally, the voices of all women, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus birders are not well represented in the birding voices we hear from. So I created this show to bring in more voices. Not to say that some of the regular festival keynotes aren't great, but there is room for others. And on the show, I'm asking everyday women from all walks of life to join me to discuss their experiences, their resources, and advice that they have for others. And I want you to remember that just because you may not have experienced some of these things, like sexism or gatekeeping, doesn't mean that they aren't real issues that others face. And because some of these conversations are best had over a cocktail or a mocktail, I also create a unique cocktail for each guest in case you want to mix yourself a drink and join us for this chat. The past few weeks have been extremely rough, emotional, and heartbreaking. And it all started with the very courageous Aisha White, who came forward with a blog post about the assault and rape that she was subject to at the hands of a well-known male birder. And with this, she has started a movement of women speaking out about misconduct that they have faced in the birding community, and they're finally being heard. So this episode is different. You're used to me interviewing women birders about their life and advice that they have for others and all these incredible experiences that they've had. But this one really is about a difficult subject that many birders do face and many individuals in the world face, unfortunately. And I have a great expert who has joined me for this episode to talk about some things that we should know so we can be prepared in cases of misconduct or sexual abuse or assault. And I really hope you do learn something from this. I know I learned a lot and I hope that I never have to use it, um, but I'll be prepared in case I do. So I apologize for breaking the mold a little bit, but I hope this information is useful to you or to someone out there. First off, I just want to remind you all that I am an expert in very few things. You want to know anything about softball or tourism? I'm your person. But topics like assault, finding help? I'm not your person. And for those of you, like me, that really don't know what to do if a friend opens up to you about abuses they've suffered, I reach out to Kelly Longwell, who's not a birder, but has a lot of experience working with those who have been sexually assaulted and has great advice about what to do and how to be a good friend to someone who has. And you'll probably notice that I am just super awkward in this conversation. And that's because for me, this, this topic is really uncomfortable. I don't know how to talk about it. It's upsetting for me to think about how some people, men, women, non-binary folks might go outside to do something fun like go birding or jogging or bike. 
and you know just get fresh air and then they might have their safety taken away due to someone else's actions so i'm really trying to learn how to talk about it and it's hard and kelly has some great information and it really helped me to make a plan so if i'm ever assaulted or if i ever need to help a friend who is going through something i feel like i have a better idea of what to do and i hope you listen with an open heart and open mind and hopefully we'll learn something too and if you're someone who has experienced assault or abuse Know that you aren't alone, and there's a lot of options and resources out there if you decide to seek them. Okay, well, thank you so much, Kelly, for joining me for this episode of Women Birders Happy Hour. So we're here for a little bit different of an episode. I had emailed you and let you know that most of my episodes are usually like um, people of New York kind of episodes where I interview someone about their birding and, you know, we talk about challenges that they may have faced and like how to improve the birding community. But you're here to help me um, talk about sexual assault and some really, um, you know, pertinent topics at the moment that are coming up in the birding world. But please, would you tell us who you are? Yes. So my name is Kelly Longwell. I am a licensed clinical social worker in the Finger Lakes region of New York State. And I also have experience working with survivors of sexual assault and different types of abuse um, prior to becoming a therapist. And I've also worked in an outpatient program um, to rehabilitate sexual offenders. So I've really worked on all different parts of the spectrum. You really have. So what (laughs) got you um, interested in this kind of career path? Uh, Well, I first became interested in the advocacy piece for survivors when I first started working in that field. So I um, I really believe in empowerment, prevention through education. I think it's really important that not just women, but all individuals be able to speak openly about their sexuality. It's very much a part of being human. And uh, I think that just being able to have those honest discussions makes the entire topic easier to talk about. Uh, You know, assault and abuse is a really difficult topic, like you said, for a lot of people to talk about. But how would you even recognize, you know, that you've been abused? That's a good question. I think that for some survivors, it may, they're in shock after being recently abused. Um, And so first of all, there could be the potential that they've also been drugged or something of that nature too. And in those types of situations, you would definitely want to seek medical that there is um, no further, um, I guess, damage, you know, nothing that would be like brain damage or anything else that may cause potential long-term side effects or problems. Um, Definitely. I think in relationships and with acquaintances, it can be harder to recognize that you have experienced some kind of abuse because it's very common that the abuser will engage in some type of a grooming behavior and he has some he or she has somehow earned the survivor's trust and that is how they gain access to you. So it's rare that you would find an abuser to come out and just immediately say, hey, I'm an awful person, I'm going to do horrible things to you. It's usually because they have some kind of access to you already. Uh, and we we trust them for whatever reason, whether it be because of gifts or them doing nice things for you. Um, there can also be in more intimate relationships, the phenomenon of love bombing. And that is when those relationships that really seem to start 
hot and heavy, really fast. This person seems like everything I've been waiting for. They understand me. They're interested in everything about me and they may, it feels so good to be around them. Usually in that type of relationship, when it starts very quickly, it is because the abuser is putting the survivor up on some type of a, a pedestal and then will eventually emotionally break them down and engage in a lot of gaslighting to the point where they are making their survivor doubt themselves and their self-esteem and, and feel that a lot of the toxic dynamics in the relationship are the survivor's fault. Um, you know, I, I know I've seen movies of situations like that um, or, you know, had experience of seeing friends with individuals that are in that kind of relationship. As How could you, in that situation, how can you be a good friend to, you know, say, I, I mean, should you even, you know, approach them like maybe you should slow it down or like how do how do we help other people? That's a great question because. You don't want to say anything that's going to put your friend on the defense or make them think you're not happy for them if they're in love and happy. And um, so just maybe reminding them if, if they've been isolating and lost touch lately, like, hey, that's great. You're in this new relationship where you're really happy, but it's been a few weeks since we could have lunch or hang out. Um, maybe just reminding them to make time um, because that is another strategy that an abuser will use is to eventually cut off everybody else that their partner is close to. Okay. Another thing that you could do is just um, by providing some basic information about healthy dating and relationships. A lot of this type of education starts early. It starts young with teenagers. So definitely any kind of um, education out there that you can provide to young people as well about what to look for in a healthy relationship and in a safe partner. So if um, someone is, you know, assaulted or abused, what uh, sort of resources should they, they seek? You know, they got out of the, the toxic relationship. Um, what do they do then? So there are a variety of resources available. I can give some information about some national um, organizations. One of the biggest it, that's very well known is called RAIN. It's R-A-I-N-N. Uh, and their website is RAIN.org. And they also have a toll-free phone number that can put you in contact with local centers where you live. And that number is 1-800-656-4673. So it would be 1-800-656-HOPE is what the 4673 stands for. Uh, and so by linking with someone locally, you can tap into some short-term non-directive counseling and support, um, advocacy with legal proceedings, if that's what the survivor chooses to pursue. Uh, and then it's important too to know if it's time to seek treatment from a therapist and um, making sure that you select someone that you think will be a good fit and really respect your experiences and validate and help you work through that in a safe way. So if someone does uh, choose to pursue legal options, um, what kind of time frame is there from the, you know, act to when can you not sue them anymore, I guess is the question. Yeah. That, so that really depends on the jurisdiction of where the incidents or incidents may have happened because the laws are different in every state. Usually there's some type of a 
statute of limitations. Um, but if you begin working with an advocate for survivors, they can help navigate that for you and answer some of those questions. So how, I mean, I guess my biggest question is, so there was all of these um, cases that came out recently in the birding community of, of stories of assault that has occurred, you know, recently and then uh, in the past. How can I, as a birder, you know, as a woman birder, be supportive of the those in the community that are coming forward? A lot of folks feel like, you know, they've said stuff in the past and they hadn't been heard, but we're hoping to change that and be a more accepting and inclusive community. And how can we do that? So first of all, I would say always start by believing. If someone comes to you and they make a disclosure, that's a very difficult thing to say out loud and to confide in someone. And the best response is to immediately show them that you believe them and that you want to support them. Uh, it's also really important to give the person making the disclosure or their survivor choice because in incidents of abuse, the survivor has had power and control taken from them. And any way that you can provide them with information so that they can take some control back over their situation will empower them moving forward. And then also I would not ask things like, why did you wait so long? Or what were you doing there in the first place? Or why didn't you, I wouldn't ask any kind of questions that you may legitimately be curious about, but that could be perceived by the survivor to be placing blame on them for what has happened because it is, it's definitely not their fault. So what other questions, you know, should we be asking that I'm not? Because you are definitely an expert in this sort of topic. And, and like I said, I'm not. What, what should we be considering? Uh, so I think that it's important to validate that one in five women have experienced some sort of attempted or completed sexual violence in their lifetimes. And that's a pretty high number. So there's chances that there's a lot of women that you know that have experienced something similar and they may be afraid to talk about it or they may choose not to talk about it because they don't want to think about it or they've healed and moved on so it's just i think important to know that everyone's experience with it is unique and uh, all different places in their healing and in their recovery uh, it's really i think good to know in relationships too when we talk about issues with consent um, consent should always be what I say is enthusiastic, like very, very clear, enthusiastic yes from both partners. And when you don't have that, then it may not be a good idea to move forward with intimacy. And if you have experienced a situation where you feel that you have been coerced, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you were consenting to that act. It, it could mean that you felt some sort of pressure, um, whether it be emotionally or you were afraid of violence. Sometimes when we're in those situations, similar to like a fight or flight response, we freeze up. And um, don't blame yourself if you have experienced that. Just know that that, even if you said nothing, doesn't mean that you were giving consent. So is there um, something, so you've worked with uh, sexual offenders in the past. Is there something yes. that we can do to um, try to prevent that or limit that kind of contact from happening? Um, so I think that 
that there's a variety of um, sexual offending that can happen, different types of behaviors. It's unfortunate because in our society, a lot of people will say like, oh, they, if they've offended on someone, they don't deserve anything, throw them away in prison forever. And um, first of all, there's a, a lot of times that the, the people who may have some kind of propensity for committing sexual violence have never been caught. And so they're not incarcerated in the first place. And then another point to consider is that a lot of times offenders may serve some time, but they're eventually released to the community. And they're not going to stop reoffending if we banish them to a homeless village somewhere and make them live under a bridge. So although it's, it's hard to talk about and some people have difficulty endorsing this, the more resources and treatment programs we can provide to offenders does eventually help reduce the risk that they will reoffend. So a lot of um, women uh, birders, you know, they'll they'll go out in groups and sometimes we'll go out individually and go birding, you know, men too, of course. Um, do you have any suggestions for things that we, that we might carry with us to help keep us safe in case someone does approach us? Um, well, definitely. I, I know that letting someone know your location is a great idea. If you have a, a family member or friend that you trust to... Um, track you on your cell phone. There's a lot of tracking apps lately. And so just like if you were maybe going on a blind date or meeting someone from the internet and you're saying, hey, I'm gonna be having dinner at this place at this time, maybe just let your friend know, hey, I'm going out birding today. Can you keep an eye on me throughout the day if you wanna check my location? Um, so that might be a, a good way if you're going alone and you just want someone to know sort of your general whereabouts and what time you're returning. Um, when you're actually out, doing birding. Um, there, it's possible you can take self-defense courses. There are other things that people carry, such as like whistles or mace. And that really depends on your own comfort level with using those types of um, prevention and self-defense tactics. So if you are not experienced with using pepper spray, and the first time you attempt to use it, end up yourself or something happens it's, it's not going to be effective in, in uh, protecting you right so just make sure that whatever you choose as some type of a self-defense device that you have a lot of experience and training and you're comfortable using it in a situation where you have to act quickly okay well thank you so much Kelly for for joining me for this is there anything else like I said earlier is there anything else we could should consider um, or, you know, do to help protect ourselves when we're out there? Uh, I, well, I think it's, it's just as a general prevention topic, the month of April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And so if you were looking for more information on the topic, the month of April, there's always a, a ton of resources online and a lot of times different events in local communities aimed at awareness and prevention. So definitely be mindful and looking for those. It's a little different this year with the pandemic. I don't think there's as many events as normally there would be, uh, but there's definitely still big awareness campaigns. And um, you can find that information actually on that RAIN site that I mentioned earlier. And there's also um, another site, which is nsvrc.org. And that stands for National Sexual Violence Resource Center. 
So both of those sites have information about prevention, education, a wealth of statistics. They're definitely worth checking into, as well as how to access help if you ever find yourself or someone that you know needing it. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for um, your advice and information. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Hannah. Peace, love, and birding. Thank you, Kelly. There was a wealth of information and resources you provided that will definitely help me as I learn more about assault and abuses and try to make the burning world a safer place for all. And I want you all to know that there are several working groups um, that are composed of leaders of organizations and just private individuals, of birders and those working for nonprofits that are working together to look at policies that local and national organizations and festivals have to see what changes need to be made to prevent abuse and help survivors get heard. And I'm working on adding resources on my own website, focusing on finding help, training opportunities, and more. So if you have suggestions, please let me know. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you learned something. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to me. If you'd like to connect with me on socials, please follow me at Hannah Goes Birding on Instagram. My Twitter is at WomenBirdersHH, or you can email me at WomenBirders at gmail.com. I also have resources and information on GoBirdingPodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you at the next happy hour.